Good morning. Let's go ahead and, uh, and get going. I have my, uh, I have my half hour that, uh, um, that caused me to, uh, to need to stop last week, and I said uh, we would try not to, uh, we'd do as minimal level of, of backing up uh, as we could possibly do. Um, we've obviously been talking about uh, looking at what the what the Bible how what the Bible would lay out as principles, and we've principles for specifically over the last probably four weeks, um, the principles that the Bible teaches regarding poverty and its relief. I guess that might be the best way to say it. It's not simply the relief of poverty, but it's an also analyzing the causes of poverty. And we, and we recognize that primarily in Scripture and primarily in history, the cause of poverty has been oppression. Uh, and it remains the primary cause of poverty in the world today. Um, there is, uh, both in Scripture... And both and in our experience, um, a second possible source of poverty, uh, which stems from what I've called indulgence and is in essence uh, spoken about in the Proverbs uh, in terms of irresponsibility and that a fundamental biblical principle in terms of social relations not just in the realm of poverty, but social relations in all of our dealings, our, our dealings with people who would work for us, people who we would work for, people who might serve us uh, in a restaurant uh, or come to repair our refrigerator as happened to us yesterday. There's this, there's this dual circular element of responsibility and reciprocity that we are all to be, to the degree that we're able, self-responsible. Now, different people have different levels of ability there, and certainly the most unable, biblically speaking, would be the widows, the orphans, and the infirm. Uh, there would be a category of people who would become unable for a short period of time due to either a sickness, due to a dislocation through maybe oppression, usually was the case, but maybe famine. We see that in the, in the, uh, in the uh, related stories of the, of the patriarchs. Um, and so these are folks that are temporarily in that category. And we've, we've made a note of that there, there are two fundamental biblical approaches to people in need. And we talked last week, there are people in need of stuff and then there are people in need of truth and ideas. That, that are true. And the Spirit equips a Christian 
If we are seeking the Spirit, the Spirit equips a Christian to recognize who needs what amount of which. So in Scripture, if a, if a person was temporarily in a, in a state of poverty, in, in a state of being without for whatever of those reasons, then the, the biblical idea is, is that of aid. It's a, it's a temporary coming to the aid, in effect, to take care of somebody until their circumstance changes. That may be somebody getting on their feet. That may be somebody getting well. That may be somebody moving on, in effect, to greener pastures. It can, all, it can have all of those things. And we've talked about these concentric circles of responsibility that certainly first and foremost, to the degree we're able, were to be self-responsible. Second, and built into the framework, the biblical framework of a society that God blesses. And, and remember, Israel is the Old Testament church. Israel is on an evangel is supposed to be on an evangelistic mission. Now, what they tended to do was take that and 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 put themselves into a ghetto and say, we've got this and you don't. This is ours and you can't have it kind of thing. But the point is, it's very clear in Scripture that God says, I put you in this situation. I am blessing you in this situation. If you live according to my principles and the reason I'm doing that, why? Feedback. Why? Why am I doing this? I'm God. I'm speaking to Israel. I'm giving you these blessings, the primary blessing being my instruction, so other people can see how that works, right? So other people can see how that works and give glory to God. So it's an evangelistic mission that, that Israel has, just like we have one. Giving glory to God for His grace recognizing where the blessings come from is the central message of the sermons in Deuteronomy that Moses has given to the people as they're heading into the land. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you in a sustained and sustainable way. I'm not going to give you riches quick. I'm not going to authorize you to go on conquest or anything that, in a, in a general standpoint, might be conquest. I'm not, I'm not going to do this through a lottery mentality. I have chosen you. In a sense, you've won the lottery. But it's going to look different from the normal lottery winner. Does that, that may be a bad, a, a bad analogy, but that's really... As I see it, it's a slow, steady burn. It's not this flash-in-the-pan kind of thing. And that was what was supposed to impress people about God. And so, among those people who would be impressed would be two groups of people. Two groups of people who would come 
to the land who would be drawn to the land. Two separate groups of people treated in principle in different ways. Now, in terms of fundamental justice, in terms of fundamentally treating people with justice, these two groups of people are not supposed to be treated any different at all. But there are two groups of people in Scripture that would flow to the land. And we, and we know in Isaiah that that is a promise of the messianic kingdom that all nations would, would flow to it. And we certainly see that happening in Acts. And we see it in the letters Paul writes and his explanations of you can't go back I'm going to fight you if you want to go back and possess this blessing of God as something that belongs to you and you alone, and nobody can have it unless they do it on terms that you've decided are the way to do it. Those Judaizing teachers who say, you've got to become a Jew before you can be a Christian. So, The strangers and the aliens. The strangers and the aliens, or the sojourners and the strangers. The Bible talks about it different ways. And now I've got a, a Hebrew scholar in the, in the audience. I tried to pronounce these last week, Taz. And I said, thank goodness that Taz and Lance are not in the room because there are two sets of terms for these people. Sojourners, sojourners, are, used, are the words, the, the Hebrew words, ger and toshav. Or that's probably so far out of bounds that you can't even see inbounds from there. But the, uh, the strangers are nekar and zar, or nekar and zar are the two terms for these folks. Now, by the way, Nekar and Tsar can actually be used for invaders, invading armies. That term is used in the prophets to talk about those folks. So we have sojourners, and we know that the patriarchs were sojourners. This would raise these ideas in the hearing of, of the people. Our ancestors were sojourners. They were sojourners in the land. They went and they had to ask permission to dwell in lands. And what did they do when they dwelled there? They made the land better. In essence, if you want to, if you want to create a distinction between these terms... Sojourners are assimilators, and strangers are, and this is not meant to be a negative phrase, but they're opportunists. Assimilators and opportunists. And that's not to say that nobody who is an assimilator is taking advantage of an opportunity. But the point is, they are people with different motivations, and frankly, people with in some senses, different loyalties. Okay? 
So, when, when Abraham sojourned, when Isaac sojourned, and certainly when Jacob and his sons, Israel and his sons sojourned, they first and foremost, they had to, they had to ask permission to be there. And they agreed to abide by the laws of that land. Now, that not, did not include idolatry. They could not sojourn and be a part of idolatry. And that's why they asked for and were given a separate area in Egypt. Land of Goshen was the old, was the old phrase. The land of Goshen was where they dwelled. And there they could be, in effect the beginnings of the Old Testament church. They could be the beginnings of this demonstration of principles that were known before the law. We talked about this way back. But the principles were there and known largely before the law was given to write them large. The law was given to give in-depth instruction to flawed people. We're cracked icons of God, as one, as one theologian puts it. And so we have a tendency to look at stuff cockeyed. Even, even the things that we have implanted in us because we are made in the image of God, even the things that are available to everybody to know ethically that Paul talks about in Romans 1 will have a tendency very potentially to skew and abuse and and get wrong. And the problem with getting things wrong is it tends to look like pushing a domino. And then lots of other dominoes fall as a result. In other words, that's why we've said, you know, are we willing to address... This is a question we have to ask ourselves in our own lives. It's a question we have to ask in the church. It's a question we have to ask as members of society who are taught to speak truth for the benefit of people. Now, the how in that we'll talk about, and that'll basically be prior to some, some practical concepts that we'll get into of how can we as Forest Home Church enact some of the, <coughs> some of the principles we've talked about. But the point is, are we willing to address all injustice or just the injustice that we don't like? And then, then that's the corollary question. Do we cure injustice with additional injustice? Well, that's what we tend to try to do. We try to do it economically. We try to do it legally. We say, this isn't, this isn't working. Well, and, and, and somebody not informed by Scripture doesn't have any idea why that not, might not be working. This isn't working, obviously, because we haven't done enough of it. So let's do more of what hasn't been working in order to see if it will work if we do more of it. That's one common approach. Or let's have no idea about anything, and we, we've partially applied some element of justice, and that hasn't worked, and so let's throw that out, and now let's try something new that we think of. Neither one of those 
is the way to go. So, strangers and aliens in the terms of, in effect, coming to the land, if you want to think of it this way, a sojourner. And remember, Israel in exile was taught by Jeremiah to be sojourners, right? Pray for the peace of the city, in effect, that God puts you in. Bloom where you're planted, right? And we see that over and over. See, this is a biblical message that we need to get out of those Bible stories that we heard all while we were growing up. There was a reason that Joseph became a ruler. My grandfather, who was very funny, used to have these little funny Bible things, who was the straightest man in the Bible. Joseph, he was a ruler. That was one of them. And we'd laugh. We were little guys. And unfortunately, that missed the entire point (laughs) of Joseph. Why was Joseph a ruler? Because Joseph was looking to God, right, for instruction. And he was applying the instruction. And what does God promise when we look to his instruction and we apply his instruction? Productivity. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. With God's love with God's truth, with God's principles. Not just people breathing oxygen and exhaling carbon dioxide. Okay? So we've got Joseph, and he is saving Egypt. Right? He is saving Egypt, and with Egypt he is saving God's Elect, right? There might have been a plan somewhere for that. Daniel. Daniel. They've been overrun, as was prophesied. They've been carried off into, acti- into captivity. And we, hear, we see the story of Daniel and his two good friends, or three good friends, sorry about that, his three good friends, and I'm forgetting their Hebrew names at the moment, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were their Babylonian names. Shucks. I used to know their names. But at any rate, but the point is, what was happening with those guys? Those guys were looking to God. They were applying His principles. They were gaining status because they were obviously better for the king, better in terms of what the king wanted to accomplish, which usually is, getting richer, enlarging his his influence and rule, they were better at doing that than any of his other people. And his other people kept trying to say, well, this is what we want you to do. Well, we want you to eat our diet. And what did they say? They said, let us us eat our diet, and you compare us us to to the other group. It's probably the first nutritional study in human history. And so what happens... They are thriving. They are thriving more than the alternative. 
And then they're put into a fiery test, and they survive that, and that puts the exclamation on the point that these people have something going on. The God of these people is a great God. And then Daniel, as the highest expression of that, is given a district to rule, and he's basically running circles around the other districts. By whatever measure the, the emperor was using to measure that, he's running circles around the other districts. So what happens then? The whole episode with who are we going to pray to? Who are we going to pray to? We need to be praying to the emperor. And he doesn't, and we know that story. But the point is, the point is, as we draw it here, this is one of many points that can be drawn from here. These are people who are, in effect, assimilating. They're assimilating in the most positive way you can assimilate. They are adding to the peace of the city where they are found. How and why? They are doing it because they are listening to the Father, which is what Jesus the righteous king said that he was doing, what we have to do if we're following him. We're listening to every word from the mouth of the Father. And as a result, we're blessing people. So we're assimilating. Then you've got strangers, and strangers are saying, boy, this is a just culture. Because in those laws that God gave, just so we couldn't mistake in our fallenness that we are supposed to be fundamentally fair and keep our contracts and do all of that sort of thing in relationship with each other socially, he just made it clear. You don't cheat anybody. The deals you make with somebody who's a stranger in your land that's just there to do business, you do them on the same basis as you would do with your family. It's the same deal. A deal's a deal. Right? But sojourners are treated differently in terms of the congregation, in terms of the society of Israel. In effect, they're, they're treated, and they are, I infer from Scripture, they are, in effect, the repentant ones. And let's think through that. What is repentance? Got lots of Bible scholars in this room. What is repentance? Turning away and turning toward. Two, two parts. Rejecting something and embracing something else. Re specifically, in biblical terms, rejecting the worldly things and embracing the godly things. Most prominently, the Savior who we must be in and identified with in order to have God's blessing. Right? Tell me if I got that wrong. Well, 
Think about what, by definition, all the other cultures, and this is true for us, guys. This is not just Old Testament principle. This is true for us. What, what characterized the societies, all the other societies that were around Israel? Why was Israel supposed to look the way they were supposed to look? What characterized it? There's one word. It's a word that's ancient and modern. Idolatry. Did I hear, did I hear idolatry? Idolatry. So if I am coming to join myself to the congregation of Israel, to the society of Israel, then I'm rejecting idols. Now, I can be a stranger and, and, and be like, you know, remember in um, Gladiator, he had the little bag with his, with his ancestors in it. And he, put, I don't know if have any of you seen, or all of you seen Gladiator. Well... It was ancestor worship, and I don't know where he was from, but he'd been conscripted. I think he was Spaniard. He was Spaniard, I now remember. And he'd been conscripted into the uh, army of Rome as they'd conquered Spain, and he had in a pouch, he had his ancestors. And that was who he prayed to. That was who he talked to. That was a, they were essentially who he worshipped. And then his children would do the same, and he would be included in that line. As that happened. So the point is, a stranger could come and do business and he could have his little pouch in his room. Now he couldn't set up, he couldn't set up a temple. But he was not pledging to join God's people and serve the Lord. He was saying, I'm going to take advantage of the fact, in the positive sense of this, very potentially. I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I can go here and not get ripped off. I can do business with these people and know that a deal's a deal. I mean, if you're a business person, that'd be who I'd seek out to do business with if they were unknown to me otherwise, right? But a stranger... Now, again... That may or may not simply have been somebody that was doing business. I think it most commonly was. A laborer who had moved there for the opportunities there. We know that there were foreign laborers involved in the building of Solomon's temple, for example. Okay? It might have even been agricultural laborers. It could have been craftsmen and tradesmen. If they were these folks, they were supposed to be self-supporting. Now, if they landed there because of oppression in their home country, then they are they're this person. They are in a temporary, episodic situation where God's people are to aid them at a subsistence level in a way that will not appeal to their degraded nature. And we all have degraded natures. Except by the grace of God as He is forming our nature, right? So, I aid that person. With this person, I aid them, and then I equip them, just like I would my brother or my cousin. Or someone, well, really, essentially, they were all brothers and cousins uh, for all intents and purposes. 
So I would treat this person just like these people, right? Because they've become part of this community. So there's a fundamental definitional dichotomy here. Two different groups. Those that have embraced and assimilated and those that are using. Using the opportunity that they have. Okay? And so these folks are included in the opportunity for no interest loans. No interest loans that are forgiven every seven years. These folks are not explicitly in Scripture. These folks are not. That's a business deal. I've made a loan with you. You're not part of the community. So it's a different deal for these people than for these people. These people, not only can I make a no-interest loan, but I can give them the implements of their trade that they had in their former land because you didn't leave with your stuff. Let's recognize that. You are a refugee in most cases. Now, the patriarchs, different deal. They were rulers and they were established in their own land. They were influential in their own land. They left with their stuff and their retinue, and that was in the blessing of God to do that. But most of these folks are refugees showing up with nothing. Guess who owns everything? The tribe in most of those other societies, the tribe owns it all. And so if you leave, see you later. Hope those clothes will keep you warm. So we've got this, we've got this dichotomy here of, and this frankly applies as we're thinking through immigration. And I'm not talking here again. I am not making a political statement. I'm saying that there, if, if we do believe that God holds nations accountable to his principles just like he holds his own people. And that seems clear from Isaiah. Even though he's going to use corrupt people as a tool to bring judgment on his people for not obeying his principles. They fall under his judgment too, and they'll get theirs unless they repent. And we had the, we had the sermon about Jonah, what, last week? Or not? This week. That's right. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, yeah. So, so once again, it seems to me that We've got, some, we've got some wonderful principles that God has laid down. The Bible speaks in terms, first of all, let's just think through this a little bit. The Bible does speak in terms of borders. And I'm not going to get way down in the weeds on this stuff. But the Bible does speak in terms of borders, and it speaks in terms of legal permissions from rulers to be in a certain place, right? So 
It strikes me that, sort of like we talked about with, with Jubilee, sort of the, the flip side of Jubilee is, you know, if I've indentured myself to somebody and then I'm released, indenturing myself is often because of a personal failure or maybe, maybe even an episodic failure where there's been, I've, there's, you know, maybe there were bugs that ate my crop or what have you, but I've indentured myself to somebody, well, I'm getting three squares and a cot, you know? That's, that's kind of what we're talking about there. And now I'm turned out to be personally responsible again. And I'm given the tools to do it. I'm equipped to do it. If I'm returned to my own land in the, at the end of the seven of sevens, I'm getting back, I'm, I'm being released. I can't, I can't go out and, and sell you a lease again because that's what I've done. It was my land, I sold you a lease, you prepaid me. I've used that to either pay debts or I've used it to operate on while you have, you have the access to the land to grow, be fruitful, multiply it. And we talked last week that that's an opportunity maybe for someone who has been less faithful to pay attention to God's principles to watch somebody who is more faithful in applying God's principles during that period of time that they are a servant to that person. I get to be a management apprentice and now I'm back on... I'm back on my own personal recognizance now. I'm on my personal responsibility. I've got to now go try to apply those things again. I've got outs if I fail, but I've still got to do it. Does that make sense? So, yeah, Clayton. Right. Everything. Yep. So a fundamentally unjust system. He's a stranger. Yep. Compared to 
Yeah, and you're, you're exactly right. Well, the point is that was, you know, like eight lessons ago is the, the, the concept that your social structure internally in your country is such that fundamentally if you are capable you are working. You are not. You are aided on this, on this basis. And the aid piece is essentially subsistence. What we call subsistence is not subsistence. And the problem is that when we mistake the terms, as you're well aware because you work with those people constantly, we're, we are suppressing the image of God that is in those people. We are creating conditions of corruption. It's one of the things I was saying here, one of the reasons why boundaries and borders are important, among other things, is to hold the leader in a country responsible for his own people. If I can just force the folks I don't like out and then another country with, with a corrupted social framework receives them, then we've got a, a total negative. We've got a situation where, and this is the unfortunate part, we've got a situation where fundamentally there may be a group of people who have been socialized into a dependency culture. They aren't... They, don't want a job unless it looks a certain way or it pays a certain amount. And we've structured our system so that there are cliffs in the aid component that you fall off of as you try to become more responsible. Well, that's fundamentally corrupt. That's fundamentally corrupt. And so I've, created, I've got a fundamentally corrupt system receiving people who have been pushed out by a fundamentally corrupt system. Those folks may come here and say, shoot, man, I don't call this subsistence. This is, this is living if they're able to get into the system compared to where they've been. But it, it also may be, it also may be that they're taking, they are gladly, willingly taking the jobs that the other folks say, not good enough for me. I want to start, I want to start with a vice presidency, and then in, in, a, in a few years I'll, I'll, I'll be the president. The point is, all these biblical principles are there. Point we made at the very beginning is that's as close to, frankly, that's probably as close to an absolute application in a current context of these scriptures as I've gotten in this entire thing. Rightly or wrongly, I've said what we what I hope to do in this situation is let's talk about the dots and then we can go about connecting them. If we understand what the dots are, it's a whole lot easier to connect them than if we are either disagreeing about the dots, have no bloody idea what the dots are, or don't care what the dots are. And that's all we have time for today. And I apologize, I won't be able to stay around and talk. Uh, Lois and I have to go to a, a funeral. Brittany's grandmother died Friday. And um, they have 
an early visitation in McMinnville that we've got to get to, and then the funeral. But we don't have kids pouring out of class at this point. Are there any other thoughts? Well, okay. So, so they're not here, and we can, we can call time out and, 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 and go on. If there's any, any thought burning a hole in anybody's mind they want to throw on the table, even if we address it next week, we can do that. Here's what I hope to do. I'd like to do just a brief review of the, of the overall superstructure, as I view it, of God's social principles. And then... The week after that, maybe for a couple of weeks, if you all are interested, and only if you're interested, and this goes back to honoring something that, that Liz Costello had, had, had asked about a long time ago. No, it's been burning a hole in my mind. It's one thing to talk about this. It's another thing to put wheels on it. And God has graced us and blessed us, just like ancient Israel, to evangelize the nations. How, do, how, do, how can we do that? What are some practical things we can do? Things like, and this would be something that, I mean, I'd love for Clayton to come back and, and, and tell us about his ministry. It's one of, to me, it's one of, the most, one of the most impressive ministries that I've seen. There's another one that, that Mike Costello got us involved uh, with, and, and uh, Tim and Mike and I met uh, with these folks at a, at a ministry called Against the Grain, and they're primarily oriented uh, at uh, ex-cons. Uh, men of Valor, and you saw the video if you were here that Sunday, that kind of focused on Men of Valor. Incredibly impressive, and to, in my mind, is doing exactly what this is talking about. Aiding and equipping. It is putting wheels on it. It is... It is True evangelism, as I view it. Discipling for those who've embraced Christ. Thank you all.